Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. All right, here we go. Something really important now. Um, the best dad jokes on the internet. Okay, are you ready? Here's, here's my dad jokes. Last night, I handed my wife the glue stick instead of the chapstick. She still hasn't talked to me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay, So you laugh or cringe. I don't care. I mean, it's all right. You can cringe with these. All right. This is, yeah, this is the, this is the, this is the favorite in my house because we have a newborn. All right. My doctor said I had the peekaboo virus. Sent me straight to the ICU. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Come on. All right. My wife told me to stop acting like a flamingo. I had to put my foot down. People in Athens rarely get up before sunrise because dawn is tough on Greece. (laughs) My son asked me what it was like to be a parent, so I woke him up at 2 o'clock in the morning and told him I lost my sock. (laughs) A sweater I bought was picking up static electricity, so I decided to return it. He gave me another one, free of charge. <laughs> okay, come on, bear with me, bear, a couple more. Listen, listen, guys, whenever your wife says she'll be back in five minutes, she will be. You don't have to keep reminding her every 15 minutes, okay? <laughs> My wife says I have two major faults. The first one is I don't listen, and the second one is um, something else. <laughs> All right, the last one. Are you ready? Come on, drum roll. <laughs> a dad was concerned that his son was spending too much time playing video games, and so he said to him, when Abraham Lincoln was your age, he was studying books in the firelight. And the son looked back at him and said, oh, yeah? Well, when Abraham Lincoln was your age, he was president of the United States. <laughs> uh, all right, we survived. Okay. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> That's my contribution, contribution to Father's Day right there. Okay. Last week, I uh, started a study in the book of Galatians. Today, I do want to bring you a, a message about fathers, but I'm going to start in the book of Galatians. Um, if you look at Galatians chapter 2, uh, you'll, you'll read about a time when uh, the apostle Peter, who was kind of stationed in the Jerusalem church, came to visit the church in um, Antioch where Paul was, Paul and his friends, and Paul was ministering regularly there. And uh, it says in the in the Bible that uh, uh, Paul stood up and confronted Peter. He, he confronted him to his face because he says he was wrong, because his conduct was not in keeping with the truth of the gospel. And so what was this horrible offense that Peter made, you might ask? And it was this, that he ate at a separate table, a table that was separated for the Jewish people to eat at, separate from the Gentiles. And and Paul made a big public spectacle about that, you know? Here, I'm sure Peter's thinking, I'm just going to, the Jews are over here, the Gentiles, I'm just going to eat here, and I'm not going to say anything. And Paul stands up, you're being wrong. I mean, just makes a big public spectacle of this. They couldn't handle this privately or what? He's like, no, this is a compromise of the gospel. You're not, your actions are not in keeping in step with the gospel. And the the reason was why? 
because what God was doing was bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles out of the two groups, making one new man. This was so important. And the fact that they were not willing to eat together was denying what Jesus came to die for. And that's why it was serious with Paul. That's why he confronted him publicly and then wrote it in the Bible and the Holy Spirit put it in the scriptures and saved it for us to read because our actions always need to be in step with the truth of the gospel. Amen? Well, if this was true um, uh, for cross-cultural reasons, I want to say this is also true for generational reasons, right? Okay? We need, um, I, I, I envision a church, man, where we are all worshiping all the generations like we are this morning, praise God, because why? Because my, my mom used to say this to me. She used to tell me, God doesn't have grandchildren. God, you, you know this phrase? I mean, why would a mom say that to a 10-year-old kid? God doesn't have grandchildren, right? No, what she's telling me is you need to have a relationship with God on your own. You need to pray and seek the Spirit and see, read the Bible. And as a 10-year-old boy, I did. I sought God with my heart because my parents would tell me things like that. And so here's the thing. If we believe that, if that is true, then everybody who's in Christ Jesus has something to contribute and something to benefit with from being together worshiping God, right? And so it's, it's good. We need this kind of thing in our church. So I see a church in my mind where we worship together, pray together, experience God together, study the word and face tough questions together, right? Uh, it's important. I'm not saying that we can't have our times where we meet, you know, like Tara's doing an awesome job with the youth. Um, you know, the men meet, the women meet, that's fine. But there needs to be times like this where we do come together and we do life together, amen? And, uh, you know, the biggest fear of the church at large, when you read, read, you know, what statistics, the statistics are and what the churches are trying to do and what they're concerned about, their biggest fear is their biggest problem, and that is the fact that they're losing the young people to the world. If the statistics hold true, it's something like um, over 60% of the, the people who graduate high school never transition into church and never become a part of the church. And so as a movement, we've got to recognize we're in decline. That's, you're not going to maintain or grow that way. You're going to decline if you can't keep the next generation. And you know, in generations past, I was thinking about this, in generations past, men and women walked with God in power and in holiness. Okay, I'm not saying that people don't now, but it was it was a common thing. But listen, back in the day when healing evangelists were thundering across the land with their big tent, the media was covering them. There was some animosity, but overall, they were respected by the people. They weren't mocked. They filled up those tents, man, thousands of people. They had real healings, real miracles. God was really working, and they were respected by people. You know, men of God like Billy Graham, Remember, Billy Graham could speak to presidents and leaders of nations, and it meant something. He was respected. We don't see that anymore. What happened? What's changed? Is it because God has changed or God changed his mind? No, the culture's changing around us, right? But we need to adapt to fit to it So because we, we still have a word to speak in season to a decaying and lost culture, do we not? So uh, we need to... Uh, we need to be able to, to go and move with God. But one of the things I believe that has happened, which I'm very concerned about, is the, the you know, we're, we're, a Pente we're a church that was born out of the Pentecostal movement, right? We've seen movements of God throughout history. We've seen the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic renewal, different things happening. But it seems like that many people have not been able to pass on the truths that they've walked into their children. And that's the problem. 
We need to be able to pass on the things that matter, not our traditions. You don't have to sing my songs. You don't have to listen to my style of music. You don't have to do things exactly how I do it, but I need to still be able to pass on the truth. That's my prayer. I want to pass on truth to my kids, man. I want them to walk with the Lord and not have to go out and experience years in the desert, in the wilderness, trying to find their way, right? I want them to be able to to know God and walk with God. You know, I've always found this interesting. Um, chapter, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's a list of curses and blessings, blessings and curses. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with that because a lot of people um, go there and they claim the blessings for themselves. And what it was, was before um, the Israelites entered into their promised land, God set before them blessings and curses. And he says, you do keep my con- commandments, keep my covenants, do all these things, you'll be blessed with these blessings. If you don't, you'll be cursed with these curses. And like I said, a lot of people um, study the, the blessings, and rightly so. I like the blessings. But I also think it's very um, interesting to know what God calls a curse. Because what God calls a curse, I know that it's something that he thinks is bad, right? If God says this is what a curse is, he's saying, I am not for this, right? This is what I would consider something bad. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and look at verse 32. This is what God calls a curse, okay? He says, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. It's horrible, isn't it? It's a curse. Uh, Verse 41, you shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. This is not a blessing. This is what God calls a curse. Yet all over America, people are losing their children to the world. And parents are just looking on helpless, saying, I wish I could do something. It's the reality we're living in today. You know, another people, another, uh, uh, other people are taking them and raising them and influencing them and giving them their values, their beliefs. It's happening all around us. And this is the kind of stuff that Jesus wants to save us from. This is not what Jesus wants for Christian families, Right? That's why Jesus came. He wants blessings for us, not curses, right? You know, if you're actually, if you're in Christ, you're not even under that curse. That curse has been wiped out for you. Uh, Galatians, back to my book of Galatians. Come on, chapter 3 and 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What I just read to you in Deuteronomy was the curse of the law. We are redeemed from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it's written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. How do you know, how many of you know Jesus hanged on a tree? (laughs) For me. Why? So that the curse could be broken in my life and in my family. Why? So I don't have to lose my kids to the world. Jesus paid for it. So what, what God wants to do, I believe, is found in Malachi chapter uh, 4, the last, the last, last chapter of Malachi, last couple of chapters, uh, or last, in the last, <laughs> the last few verses in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. It also happens to be the last book in our Old Testament Bible. And this Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So Elijah is supposed to come and turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. So evidently, this was not happening. And God said, I need this to happen. This is a problem with me. 
that the hearts of the children are disconnected from the hearts of the father. There's a problem in God's mind. So he said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send a prophet, and this is going to be the ministry that will identify him. He will reunite the fathers and the children. He will reconnect the generations again. So the disconnect, and listen to this, the disconnect between the generations actually opened up the the whole nation for destruction, utter destruction, what the ESV says. Um, How how does it read? I will, um, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter, utter destruction. The King James says, unless I come and smite the earth with a curse. I like that King James English sometimes, man, smite the earth with a curse. Serious stuff. Listen to some other translations. The Good News translation. He will bring the fathers and children together again. Otherwise, I would have to come and destroy your country. Listen to God's Word translation. He will change the parents' attitudes toward their children and the children's attitudes toward their parents. Isn't that a good practical way of putting it? Just change your attitudes toward your children. Change your attitudes toward your parents. This must happen, or I will come and completely destroy your country. Then your country is not safe when the generations are divided. The uh, easy-to-read version. Oh, wait, did I? Oh, I, I blended two. He says, he says um, your children, your children's attitude to their parents. If not, I will come and reclaim my land by destroying you. That's what he said, that one. Reclaim my land. The next one, the easy-to-read version. I should be able to read this one. Elijah will help the parents come close to their children. He will help the children become close to their parents. This must happen or I will come and completely destroy your country. The Amplified, okay, get ready for some words here. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, a reconciliation produced by repentance. Right? It's a change of mind, change of heart, change of attitude right? So that I will not come and strike the land with the curse of complete destruction. But see, these are Israel-specific promises because they're Israel's prophet, right? But come on, do they not have an application for us today? They do, because he's talking about what's going to happen right before Jesus comes back, that great and terrible, mighty day of the Lord, right? That wonderful day when he comes down and judges the earth. So I believe there's healing for our land too. I believe there's healing for our country, and it's going to start in the hearts of people, and it's going to start in the hearts of fathers toward their children and children toward their fathers. See, the breakdown in the family relationships is a curse that Jesus wants us to be free from. We don't have to have this going on in our church. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who has hanged on the tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's talk about this character, Abraham, for a minute. Because he says, um, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham. What is the blessing of Abraham? Because it's supposed to come to you and me through faith, right? So let's look at what let's look at the calling of Abraham. All the way back to the first book, Genesis chapter 18. You'll read this in verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. See, God's always had all the nations of the earth in mind from the very beginning. And it says in verse 19, For I have chosen him 
that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he promised to him. What do you, I have chosen him, why? So that he may command his children and his household after him. What? To walk in the ways of the Lord. God's, as long as Abraham's children continued to walk in the ways of the Lord, that Abraham walked in the promise was on its way to them. They could receive the promise. They could be stable in the land. They could receive the blessing promised to Abraham. But what happened when the children started walking away from the Lord, away from the God of Abraham? Destruction, exile, right? It didn't go well for them. See, God chose Abraham to direct his children in order to keep the way of the Lord by doing something, right? By doing righteousness, by doing justice. I mean, it's not enough just to keep your parents' tradition or keep your parents, you know, uh, you know, keeping the, you know, the holidays or whatever. What? No, it's it, it changes your life. What, what we need to do, those of us who are parents, we need to actually be walking in the Lord and demonstrating this, demonstrating doing righteousness and doing justice so that we have something to pass on to our kids. We need to let them see us make the tough decisions, do the hard things, do the right things, even if it's unpopular. Why? So that we can raise them up and impart that to them. Now, it might look totally different from how you do it, but it will be doing the right thing. It will be doing justice. Amen? It'll be doing righteousness. And so the Lord wants to bring Abraham his promises, and he says, I'm going to bring you these promises, but it's going to depend on your ability to direct your children after you and pass on what I've given you. And now, you know, how many of you know Abraham died? All right? I mean, he did what he did in his generation. After that, it was kind of out of his direct control, wasn't it? But wasn't the Spirit of God honoring what he spoke to Abraham all through the next several thousand years of history in order to keep watch over Abraham's children? Don't you believe that you can have a relationship with God that even after you're gone, God's looking out for your kids? I mean, we're talking about supernatural stuff here, aren't we? But this is what Jesus came to do. I claim these promises. I claim this redemption from the curse for me and my house. I mean, how could Joshua stand up there before going into the promised land and saying, choose you this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made a decision for his family that they're going to serve the Lord. Come on, let's make decisions for our family. We're just not going to live that way. We're going to go with Jesus. Amen? So, um, when fathers can pass on godly values to their children, it brings stability to a nation, any nation, our nation, Israel, any nation. If you can pass on, if you can walk in holiness before God, walk in righteousness and doing righteousness and justice, and you can pass that on to your kids, it brings stability to a nation. It preserves a witness for God in the culture. You know, it wasn't that long ago people didn't take the Lord's name in vain on the street because they had enough respect for it. Now, maybe their life wasn't right. Maybe they were going to hell, but there was still a witness for God in the culture that that would have been unpopular to do. But now it's just like, how brazen can you be to bring just shock and, and say things that were unspeakable not very many years ago? So we want this witness of God to be preserved in our culture. And so by, by doing that, that was the way that God was going to keep his promise to Abraham, which the Bible says is what? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Come on, don't you think with the Holy Spirit, we could do something for our families? 
<laughs> Don't you think with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we could do something for our neighbors and our cultures and our world? Come on. So it's not, we're not without the power, the tools, the ability to live this and do this. So evidently this was no longer happening in Malachi's time. The, nature, the nation, God said, is in danger of completely being destroyed, coming under a curse because of the disconnect between the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the children. You know, God has always been faithful to the Jewish people. Always. So when the Jewish people failed to listen to the warnings of the prophets, when they failed to keep the law, when they failed to keep the covenant, they were, their nation was destroyed. They were exiled to the neighboring country, Babylon. This happened about uh, 587 B.C. Is, uh, is the date. And when they're over there in the strange country and with all these pagan gods and everything going on, all they could say was, you know what? God is faithful. God is just. God is right because we broke the covenant. God did exactly what he said he would do. He would keep his word because God always keeps his word. I want to tell you about a man named Daniel. Daniel was one of the early exiles who was carried away from Jerusalem and carried into Babylon. You'll read about it in Daniel chapter 1. Let's start with verse 1. In the year of in the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, if you've been in kids' church, you've probably learned about Nebuchadnezzar, right? Songs about Nebuchadnezzar, the fiery furnace, right? This is, this, is, this is the characters here. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. So they took the holy things out of the temple, the, 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 the instruments that they would use for worship. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is um, in modern-day Iraq, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. That's little g, his God, all right? Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were educated for three years. At the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And you maybe know them better by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So basically, these kids are going to go through the king's indoctrination program for three years. They're going off to college for three years to learn Nebuchadnezzar's way, to be indoctrinated in his program and his mindset, to get his values, to get his beliefs, to learn his culture. That's what's happening here. And when he was finished with them, See, what, what this king would do, Nebuchadnezzar, he was this occultic technical king, and he would go and he would conquer these lands, and then he would bring the best and the brightest um, of the young people, even the leadership of that land, and he would come and he would reprogram them to run his empire. And he'd put them through this training program, and then he'd use them to govern under him the different territories. And I mean, and look at this. Uh, these, these guys are um, sharp, man. They're used without, well, first of all, it says they're nobility right? They're youths without blemish, good appearance. I mean, they're good-looking kids. 
teenagers without blemish, no pimples, not a single one. <laughs> but they're, they're take, the ones with knowledge and understanding, they're articulate. These kids, I mean, they had something going for them in their country where they, were, where they came from. And now they're taken here and they're putting in this indoctrination program, learning new ideas, you know, the going through cultural sensitivity training, all this stuff, whatever it is. This is what's going on. He's changing them. You know, if you want to radically change a culture, what do you need to do? You need to divide the parents from their children, right? I mean, it's just, a, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's what happened all over Eastern Europe. Uh, Tito told me it's what happened down in Cuba, right? And it's what's happening all around us today. I mean, we're seeing it happen right before our very eyes, right here in America. We're dividing the 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 children from their parents. And so the parents are no longer able to pass on their values and some other values are being substituted and fed to them. And that's what King Nebuchadnezzar was, was doing with these guys. And you know, you've got to love the zeal of the younger generation. I love the zeal and the excitement of the younger generation. Uh, they question things. They question why you're doing things. And they don't want to just do it. They're, they're full of these ideas and these ideals, right? And we don't want to quench the zeal, but we do need to capture it and harness it and direct it, right? Because if you don't, somebody else will. You know, in third grade, man, I remember third grade sitting there in the classroom. Um, I remember reading a story about acid rain. I mean, acid rain was going to wipe out the planet. I mean, that's heavy for a third grader to be thinking about acid rain. Next year, it was um, by the year 2025, man, we're going to all be living in a biosphere because there's going to be so much pollution. You're not even going to be able to walk outside without a gas mask, you know. That fourth grade, man, 10 years old that's, or 9 years old, that's what I'm hearing, reading in school about this biosphere. I mean, how long ago? It was like 15, 16 years ago where um, Al Gore told us that by, by the year, um, what year? 2014, New York was going to be underwater, right? I mean, because of global warming. It's, it's, I think Tara was just there. Did you need a boat to get around? No. Just a statue. Just a statue. <laughs> I mean, so what I'm just trying to say, for those of us who've been around for a few decades or more, you know, it's nice to know that you've, you, you've lived long enough to see things come and go, come back around again, right? And it's nice to know that you just don't have to jump on every emergency somebody has to make. It's not an emergency all the time, right? What's, what's happening is somebody's trying to create an emergency, harness the power of zeal and excitement and create momentum to go a direction that they want to go, right? Well, cannot we, can't we walk with God and take the excitement and the zeal and the things of God and the spirit of God and, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and go and be warriors for God, young and old alike? Come on, as older people, older people should not have lost that zeal, right? Never should have lost it. And if you have a hookup with the younger person who's got it, but go run with God, right? Let's run together. Let's work together. We need the zeal of the younger generation working with the wisdom of the older generation. We need that. We're not complete without that. Nobody wants just to be a church of older people. Nobody wants to be just a church of younger people. And if they do, because there are churches who are churches of older people and churches of younger people. And I'm telling you, you're missing something. You're just missing something. Young people, listen to me. You need the wisdom of older people in your lives. Old people, you need young people in your lives. We need them. We need you. So that's why we need the hearts of the fathers turned toward the children. And the hearts of the children turn toward their father. So imagine you're Daniel, okay? You get carried away. You're in Babylon. You're, you're put into this indoctrination program. They're working on your mind. They're putting you in this thing. They're trying to teach you everything about their culture and their gods and everything. You know, one of the things about um, 
uh, generations. Every generation wants to blame the generations before them for all the problems in the world, right? I mean, right now it's real popular to bash boomers, right? I mean, okay, boomer and all that kind of stuff. It, it's, just, it's just what we do. Oh, the problems that we're having is because of people who've gone before me. It's not my fault. But I'm telling you, if there was ever a person in the world where this was true, it was Daniel. He is carried away, exiled into Babylon because his parents and the generations before them did not keep the covenant of God. He's a teenager, man, and he finds himself in a strange land. And it's true. It's true. And he's looking around and he's got three friends who are willing to serve God with him. That's it. I mean, there were hundreds and thousands exiled to Babylon and we only read about four of them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where's the rest? So Daniel and his friends are captured. They're sent to a foreign land. I mean, they're royalty. Like I said, they, had, they were going to govern Jerusalem, govern Judah one day. And now all of a sudden at once, your nation is gone, your dream is gone, your future is gone, your hope is gone, you're done. I mean, they had every right to sit there and be cynical and critical. Why bother, man? Who's going to know? Who cares? What if we eat the king's food? What if we just go along with this, make life easy for us? If anybody had a reason to be angry and bitter, it was Daniel. But instead, what did Daniel do? You'll read it in chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor. Come on, say that. God gave Daniel what? Favor. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So he resolves not to dishonor his father's God. Even though he had every excuse to. But that resolved for Daniel and his friends brought him favor, compassion. It didn't hurt him. I mean, young people, listen to me. You may be upset with your parents for different reasons, but that does not give you the right to dishonor God, right? As our nation and our dreams are being taken away from us, we've got to build our lives on this kind of resolve so that we can be a Daniel or a Danielle. Okay, Daniel, Danielle, same, same name. We need Daniels in this generation, don't we? We need people who will stand for truth and be a witness to God. You know, Daniel ended up living an amazing life in Babylon. He did. He helped govern two world empires. He became one of Israel's most prominent prophets. And he actually lived long enough to see the exiles return 70 years later to Jerusalem. What an amazing life. And if you read his book, I mean, in the end, he's seeing visions of the end time. He's writing things that Jesus would quote to, to uh, establish his ministry. This man became quite an important person. Why? Because he resolved to continue to honor God. He wouldn't sell out to the culture around him. He stayed true to God. So let me tell you about the return of the exiles. That clock has not moved a minute. Good, we've got plenty of time. Let me tell you about the return of the exiles. Daniel's an old man now, so he's witnessing this. As far as we know, he stayed in Babylon. There's no record that he returned. Um, but those who are in captivity and those who were born in captivity, they begin to return and to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. You can read about it in the book of Ezra. But understand, these people were in exile for 70 years. That's a long time to be out of your country. 
right? Think about all the the children born in exile as they're coming back. Many of them were born there, and and um, most of them did not remember what it was like before exile. Most of them were born away. And anybody who did remember, boy, they're well advanced in years now. I mean, if they're 20 years old when they left, they're 90 coming back. You get what I'm saying? Okay, if they're 10 when they left, they're 80. You, you do the math, 70, 70 years. But in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, it says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. So they come back to Jerusalem, and what's the first thing they want to do? They want to rebuild that temple, right? So they start working on the foundation. They're clearing it out, moving the rubble, and they start laying the foundation for the temple of the Lord. It says the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets. So boy, they kept their cultural identity. They kept their lineage. They've got the Levites. They remade their, you know, their vests to practice the worship and everything. And uh, they came uh, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the direction of David, the king of Israel. So they go back in their scriptures and they find the instructions that David gave Solomon. And they're trying to reenact this. They're trying to recreate this and they're laying the foundation. Verse 11, it says, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. 70 years gone, they've got the foundation down, and they are having a party, man. They're excited. They're cheering. But verse 12, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, listen, old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation was being laid. They were weeping, wailing. Though many shouted for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with the great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Look at the difference between the emotional response of the older generation and the younger generation. The younger were the ones who were born in exile. They've never knew, knew a time, they've never seen the first temple. They never worshipped or walked around and brought their sacrifices to that first temple. It was always just stories to them. It's all they knew was the stories passed on. And so they never saw that. The older men who did remember, boy, they wanted to be everything like it was before, man. <laughs> I was like, this is not right. It need, you know, for the younger, for younger people here, man, maybe, you know, we've, I love our church. We've, we've got such a, a diverse group of people. I think that's right. That's godly. But, you know, some of you, um, including me, you don't know what it was like in the 1950s or the turbulent 60s, or the 70s, or the 80s, my generation. You don't, you just heard about it, right? You don't know, you didn't live through that, right? You know, some of you um, never had to wear bell bottoms, ever. Some of you would if you still could, but I mean, you didn't have to. You didn't, believe it or not, there was a time before microwaves, cell phones, and social media. Yeah, we actually lived and did not have cell phones following us everywhere. I, I mean, I don't know how we did it either. I mean, you ever seen like on YouTube, uh, one of those little things called a phone booth? Yeah, we'd have to stop and actually call somebody in a phone booth if we needed to make a call while we were out. Man, times have changed, you know? And um, uh, the, the younger people, see, they're born, they're working on the temple and they're born in exile. They've never experienced a free Jerusalem. Exile was all they knew. Exile and a bunch of stories, Right. But they come and they lay the foundation of the temple and they're shouting and rejoicing and celebrating. Why? Because God, after 70 years, has brought them back into their land and they're praising God for it. But the older men are remembering the way it used to be and they're thinking negatively toward the work that's going on. But God wanted the work to continue. 
And so he takes, he tackles it head on. In Haggai chapter two, he sends the prophet to speak to the workers, to encourage the work to continue. Listen to this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. I just like those details because you, you realize this is not a made up story. It was a specific time, seventh month, 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord. He knew what day it was when that word came and he went and delivered it to the workers of the temple. He says, speak now to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is like the foreman here. He's leading the work in the temple, okay? Speak now to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua and the high, the high priest and to the, all the remnant of the people and say, verse three, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? That was the problem, wasn't it? They're looking at this new foundation. They're saying, this is like, what? This is not like it was. And God's calling them out. He's saying, look at this. You saw the house in the form of glory, but how do you see it now? You're despising it. You're thinking of it as nothing. But he encourages Zerubbabel in verse four. He says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work for I am with you declares the Lord God. He wants the work to continue. See, we have no right to say, man, it's not the way I remember it. It, It's got to be the same or I'm not going to be part of it, right? Man, the, the old men had a job to do too, right? They had work to do. They had the skills and the craftsmanship. They were supposed to work right alongside of those youngers who were born in exile, I mean, we've experienced glory days, man. I, I've said, I said earlier, our church, uh, Pentecostal church, came out of a great move of God. But man, we don't exist to prop up what used to be. We exist to move on with God and be part of what God's doing in the earth today. Amen? Right. Zechariah, another prophet, was also sent to encourage them. Zechariah chapter... Four and verse eight, it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. So you can see they're, they're, <laughs> they laid the foundation. Now they're working on the temple. And Zechariah comes and he says, he started it and he's going to finish it. He's going to see it through to the end. Just like Rick wants to see that little tiny house through to the end. He started that thing and he's going to see it through to the end. Well, he's going to see this house, this temple. He's going to see it through to completion. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Verse 10, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. In other words, just you wait and see. You thought it was too small. You looked down on it. But I'm telling you, you're going to rejoice together with this whole generation when this house is finished. Maybe it wasn't like the first, but God was in it. Amen? So the temple was eventually completed. Years later, this temple would be the temple that was remodeled and even expanded. And it was the temple that was standing when Jesus was here. So when Joseph and Mary brought their eight-day-old boy to the temple to present him before God, according to the Jewish tradition. That's the temple they walk in. And the glory of God returns to the temple. This is the temple that Jesus walked through and he kicked over the tables of the money changers and drove out those selling the doves, and he stood there and taught daily in the temple. 
healing people and preaching the word of God. I'll tell you what, the, the, the Old Testament, the first temple, I mean, there was the wonderful experience of God coming into the temple. There was a glory cloud came in and there were uh, people playing trumpets, musicians playing trumpets, and the priests were trying to minister and offer their sacrifices, but because of the presence of God, they couldn't stand and they were on their faces before, and it was wonderful. But none of that compared to the glory that was in Jesus Christ. None of it, who stood there and brought salvation, brought the Spirit of God, brought the Word of God. Why is it that men want glory clouds? God doesn't want to inhabit a building. God wants to inhabit humanity, just like he inhabited Jesus. That's what he has for us, and we can go there together, old and young alike. Man, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he goes on and talks about what your old men will, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, right? All flesh. It includes all, all of us. There's no junior Holy Spirit. Amen? Young people get the same Holy Spirit. When I was five or six years old, whatever it was, and my parents laid hands on me to receive the Holy Spirit, I didn't receive a, a kid version. I didn't. I received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to inhabit our children, our young people. And I would encourage everybody to go after that with all your heart, with all your life. And finally, because it's Father's Day, we talk about reuniting the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. I want to talk to you for just a minute about the fatherhood of God. One of the things that Jesus revealed to us that was so special so special was the fact that God wants to father us. He wants to be our father. When he said pray, he said pray this way. He didn't say, oh, most powerful creator God of heaven and earth, God almighty, Lord of heaven's hosts. What did he tell us to pray? Our father. Our father. Come on. Isn't that beautiful? Our father who was in heaven. When he rose from the dead and he saw the women there, he said, what, go tell the disciples, right? But I have to go and I have to ascend to your father and mine. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. But God wants to father us. And on Father's Day, you know, I know, I know how it is, man. Families can be some of the trickiest uh, fields to navigate. It just is. I mean, it just is. It's Whatever, you know, some people, you, you, you can be close to your father all your life. Sometimes you get estranged from your father. Sometimes you're close to your children. Sometimes your children are far off and you feel like you can't reach them. I understand, and God understands. And I'm not wanting to preach a sermon that pretends that everything's just perfect. But what I do want to say is this. Let's take a few minutes as a band comes up. Let's just sing this, this last song. And when we do, let's take a few minutes to... Um, Let's pray for our children. Let's pray for our fathers. And let's pray for that relationship between our hearts and the hearts of our fathers. Amen? Because, you know, maybe your father's not with you still. No matter what the situation is, I believe that we can claim these promises and that we have a right to stand for our children. I mean, let's just search the heart of God. Let's search the face of God. 
And if you're in good standing with your kids and good standing with your parents, praise God. Let's claim these promises for our kids, man. I want to walk in such a way that my kids can see my walk and not have to go out and experience Babylon. Whether they can continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. My prayer is that I can pass on the truth, these truths to them, these values. They don't have to do everything I do. They don't have to do it the way I would do it. But I want them to know God. I want them to be connected to God. And I always want to be a kind of person that they can go to for just to talk to or advice. Come on, if young people come, if you're an older person and young people come to you and all they hear about is the way that we used to do it back then, you've got more to offer than that. Come on, you've got the Spirit of God in you. You've got the ability to look years, decades back and see the farther back you can see, the farther forward you can see. And you've got the wisdom of God in you. You can give them practical things. Come on, if you're if you're here and you're you're an older, consider yourself of the older generation, let's make the commitment to live a life in such a way that we really have things to give. Let's be let's be the kind of people who uh, they'll actually younger people will actually want to come through and glean from. Amen. And if you're a younger person, I would encourage you too to find, search out older people. One of the one of the passages I was thinking about, and I didn't preach on it today, but I thought about it, so I'm going to preach on it now. King David was the first, was the most awesome king of Israel, followed by his, he was the second king after Saul. Um, king David had a son named Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. He's known for his wisdom. Solomon expanded the kingdom. But Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the Bible says that um, when he took the kingdom, he went to his father's counselors, and, and they gave him advice. They said, uh, love the people, treat them good. I'm paraphrasing because I didn't study it out to preach, but he says he listened to his father's uh, advisors, and they gave him good advice. And then he went to his peers, and he said, well, what do you think I should do? And they said, you need to be hard on the people. You need to tell them you're going to be demanding and so he had two choices. He could listen to the older generation or he could listen to his peers, his contemporaries. And you know what he did? He listened to his contemporaries. He listened to his peers. He listened to those of his same age group, his same experience. And do you know what the people did? They said, who is Rehoboam? They divided the kingdom. And, and uh, Rehoboam, he got stuck with just Judah. And all of Israel was divided. And for the next, I can't remember how many hundred of years, until exile, the kingdom was divided because he didn't seek out good godly wisdom. Man, God has given us one another. God has given us one another. And so let's, let's just seek the Lord and let him heal those relationships and even grow those relationships if your kids are younger like mine so that our hearts and the hearts of our children can be united. Amen.